Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. I'm joined by my co-host, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hey, Dr. Parks. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Wen. Hi, DM. Hi, Dr. Parks. And second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Dr. Parks. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR's School of Medicine. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about um, uh, authoritarianism, authoritarian personality, um, you know, and hopefully uh, a little bit about uh, uh, the Milgram studies. They found that there was uh, some authoritarianism there. We'll talk about this later. But I first want to ask, is there any new updates for people? DM, I mean, I, I like to say, like, you know, Welcome keep back us to informed. Yeah, DM, you have not been on the show for months. Where, not, what have you been doing? Yeah. Been are you building busy. a bunker, a COVID-19 <laughs> proof bunker or something? What have you been doing? Uh, the opposite of that, actually. Uh, no, I got married. So <laughs> oh we've gosh. been planning a wedding, going on a honeymoon, getting co- tested for oh COVID a lot to make sure that we all got through it safely. It was a big event, like, we had three events for the wedding um, and nobody got COVID. <laughs> so that was wow. what I've been doing. Yes. Nice. So, oh, did you already go on your uh, honeymoon? Where'd you go? Bora Bora. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, you you make me sick. Fun. What am I saying? Gosh, you make me sick. <laughs> <laughs> What's Bora Bora like? Amazing. It's at 20% capacity, so it feels like you have your own island. There's no contact. There's only been two COVID uh, deaths in all of French Polynesian islands. Um, it's felt really safe and just yeah. But work. what is the island like? I assume it's an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it smells like flowers. Everything is like oh, wow. blue and beautiful. The water is so clear. The fishes swim into your hands. I can't talk oh, about it. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well, you, you really got away from everything, including COVID and, and all of us. Well, I'm glad you're back. <laughs> Thank and you feel you. refreshed. Did it, was it a while before you got into back into the swing of things? It, yeah, I, I'm still trying to get back on track. Okay, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. Well, uh, what do people know about the Milgram studies, first of all? I'll just kind of start there. Do, do people know about uh, uh, these studies? Did you study that in I'm not familiar school? with that. At all? I studied it not in medical school, but when I was in undergrad studying social psychology and yeah. Well, okay, so uh, Stanley Milgram, he he did these these, these studies, uh, um, and basically uh, what it was what it had to do with is how far would people go in obedience to authority, which is a big part of authoritarianism. And would they, and so they, they just, they had these things where they had um, confederates, where they had this uh, phony situation where they were supposedly helping people learn things. And then if they didn't learn them fast enough, the, the, the subject, the person that wasn't informed about the study and what was going on would have to shock, the, uh, shock the, uh, these people if they got a wrong answer. And so they were told to escalate the shock uh, to greater and greater and greater amounts as they got wrong answers and they were at some point 
uh, you heard screaming. And then at some point, as the, the, uh, the electricity increased, as the shock increased, you heard nothing, which is very disturbing. Oh, yes. So they, uh, they had fun experimenting on people and terrorizing them, basically doing this. So it's not a, an experiment that would be done today uh, because you know, of, of the, you know, the amount of stress it, it placed on people. But uh, what was interesting is um, the differences in different regions of the United States and Wait, also sorry. different countries. I don't know if I missed this part, but you did say the the noises that these people delivering the shocks heard was recorded, right? They it wasn't real. They weren't actually shocking. It was just it, it was the subject screaming. Yeah, like the, the Confederate, the Confederate. He would just fake it. Faking, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they did this with gender too. They did. They mixed genders. They had females dressed in lab coats, uh, telling them, "Oh, you must continue. The, the experiment demands that you must continue." They had mm-hmm. men initially do this, so it, they found interesting differences. I can't go through it, but it's a fascinating study. But I just wanted to kind of mention that there are some country differences. Um, now, where do you feel obedience rates uh, hit as compared with other countries? Does anyone have a guess about what other countries? had higher or lower uh, percentages For of higher, obedience. higher, I would imagine Asia? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's different, I don't have every single country in front of me, sure. uh, but I don't uh, I don't see that there's a big difference there. This one, I, this one I'll show you, I'll show you, like Germany was high. Did, did someone guess that? Understanding was this came this experiment came directly out of the Nuremberg trials. That, right. Yes. It was a yes. direct response to all the Nazis who said they were just following orders. Yeah, and people didn't want to believe them. They wanted to think, oh well, I would have said no, and I would have not done these atrocities, and that's why it was really it was really pretty disturbing. What a lot of people did. A lot of people mm-hmm. followed orders, and especially especially the context was important. Now the vast I, I, majority, and also I think it's the Zimbardo prison experiment is kind of at home in this conversation which is the exact same thing you had all these people sign up as fake prisoners and fake prison guards and then you ended up having real prison guard abuse by these all these stanford students that were all just initially just playing these roles we should have another show on that because there's interesting findings on that about the legitimacy of that study too but i i I, I, talked a little bit about that we have talked about that in the past Uh, now uh, w- w- one thing that was important, just a side note, that when they had the Confederates, uh, like if you, they had, they, had, they put two people in there who were given these shocks, and then they had one person who was the Confederate, someone who was in on the study, right, say a, 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 an objection. They objected, like, oh, I don't feel comfortable about this, and uh, I don't, I feel, I just don't feel that this is good. I don't feel this is a good way to learn. Now, when people were exposed to this reasonable person objecting to it, they were more likely to follow their lead and object to it and not obey. But when they saw someone that was a jerk opposing it, that would say, this is stupid, this study is dumb, you're all wrong, this is, a, this is BS, you know? And then when they saw that, many people did not follow their lead. They wanted to be the good, obedient subject and continue the study. Is that interesting? But anyway, all right. But um, very low on obedience, Australia. Is that uh, does that shock you? Speaking okay. of prisoners, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> India, forty-two percent. The United States was about fifty-six point four three. That was in the original Milgram study. 
but it but but really there was variation on that once they did it around the United States and in different settings as high as 91% and as low as uh, 30%. So it really depended on the location, on who was doing it, um, but you would have varying rates. I was really surprised that you weren't able to see Tosha's like hypothesis reflected in that list. Um, I did an away rotation in Japan in medical school and one thing I think that was noteworthy was that a few different people said, um, oh, you know, we're, we're the Germany of the Asian world. And that was a definitely a point of pride. And then, and they, you know, they were talking about kind of like how exact their machining is and, and their car companies and, and things like that. But I think there was also a sense of like, we are orderly here. And then also, I think in terms of the, the cultural thing of individualism versus collective wisdom i'm surprised that's not i would have thought that the two big predictors here are how strong man is your leader and then how conformist is your culture yeah i mean and you know and then might be a little bit of that because you know italy had a um a dictator um in the uh world war ii and so they were actually high we're basically talking about the axis <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean yeah, yeah i mean it does seem to fit in some ways um, but it did it did matter in how they gave it. But uh, now, have have you ever done an assessment? You can assess yourself on they, this. Is what they found they found that people who had high authoritarian uh, personality variables, obedience to authority, deference to authority, and things like that, um, seem to be more apt to obey. Have you ever have either any of you ever taken an authoritarian scale or index? And oh. I would invite our listeners to do this. You can just Google right-wing authoritarian scale rwa and just take it for yourself but i, mean, has, I think have we any all you... tried to take it before this, this what, what were your scores uh okay what, so what, what... do you want to explain what the scale is first well i mean it's different there's different factors in it you know as far as um you know obedience belief in a strong leader and uh, homophobic uh, feelings and, and that kind of thing uh, sexist kind of feelings those kind of things but there's different kinds of uh uh, you know, belief in traditional values, uh, belief in um, uh, kind of an exceptionalism for your own country, na nativist kind of feelings. So it basically rates you in terms of how authoritarian authoritarian you are, right? Yeah, and there's different yeah. factors involved. And, and so, higher scores indicate more right-wing authoritarianism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, I don't want to blow the 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 questionnaire for you all but um yeah but there's there's I, we kind of have to in some way because this is also i want to talk about is that uh you know i i spend a lot of my day wondering what, what is going on with the united states now now again i don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable <laughs> the, don't be political if you don't want to be political on the show asking that was so, <laughs> what was i so feel funny. i well this is what i feel i feel like i don't know like the United States I thought I knew is not the United States that I am discovering given what is going on in our country. That's, yeah. I'm just being honest. Yeah. And, you know, what do you all I think? I think a lot of people of feel that way. But I also think like so one thing we were, we were kind of talking about before the show, for, for me, there's a, a, a lack of alignment between talking about authoritarianism and talking about right versus left. And I think we're confounding those. And I think that scale, and I stopped, I did this scale about halfway and we were starting the show, but also 
it was so clear that I was going to score zero on it. But I think Wait, that Wait, did also, you score zero? I didn't finish this. I, I was picking the extreme answer on every single one for like okay. 10 in a row of basically that showing that I'm, you know, of course, um, a very far left, very non-authoritarian person, which I think we probably everyone scored similar to that. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but but there's a, a fascinating book by uh, a husband and wife couple called uh, Petney and Gail Snell um, that came out. It's kind of a psychodynamic book. It's called The Adjusted American, and it talked about how Americans all think that they're really individual cowboys, but in reality, when you give them, I think, more objective, non-politicized scales of authoritarian subscription not authoritarianism, but authoritarian subscription and individualism versus community affiliation that they actually, America is a fairly conformist place where people just like to think that they are individualistic and the way they tend to express that is is through their product consumption, but not actually through any kind of meaningful decisions. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I mean, I would it, agree with that. I think we all search for community, even if we're individuals. Yeah, but I guess, but I guess, what's going on with the United States right now is that uh, it, there's a unity that is based on uh, just anger and fear and bitterness and resentment, and that is looked on as being strong and getting you know, S word done, you know, getting, getting stuff done. Right. And then that's, and I've had it kind of an idea. Like I've had it with these people, these people that are coming in and ruining our country or wrecking our traditional values or whatnot. And so I'm all for unity and I feel like, but I feel like the more that there's this kind of notion and kind of anger and divisiveness, I feel it's really hard to do that. And I, that's, see, that's why I think, say, this is not the America that I thought and if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. We're talking about uh, an, a new study about authoritarianism and in particular about Trump supporters. And I want to get now, I don't want to make people wait, wait, uncomfortable. Wait, wait, Before we move on, I want to sure. say my score. My score was 10.23%. I feel like that was my score too, actually. It was 10 point something. I, I feel like it's My score is 35. <laughs> I'm more traditional than <laughs> you guys Whoa. are. <laughs> Did you think it would be a lot higher than us? Us meaning Alan is, is at zero. Alan's yeah, I thought we were all going to be okay, at zero. First they of all, all I want to so point obviously. out that Alan made an assumption about his score and then made an assumption about everyone else's score. What, what, was, what did you say about our test? What did you assume about us of you and me? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you assume about our scores, Alan? He said I assumed we were all going to have the extreme non-authoritarian oh. thing, and that this. I all. I also sort of thought that this this scale was a bit of a joke because I felt like there the the choices were so poorly disguised and so clearly onerous answers that no one would possibly answer yes to any of them. And well, and it was even called the right wing authoritarian scale, which to me was. I mean, whenever you see political models, right? There's on one axis there's the authoritarianness and on the other axis there's politics and if this was i mean you know if they, i think they, uh, if you get closer to the end of that uh of the test it speaks more to the idealism of the right wing group 
And I think that's probably where I scored higher. Mm, sure. Yeah, towards the end, I was putting more um, less extreme answers, I would say, less extreme answers. Uh, what a fool I am for not having finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could possibly the most authoritarian person right here. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that, you know, there's there was art, there have been articles like this one in the Washington Post about how uh, initially authoritarianism was thought to describe Trump voters, but it, it didn't. And in fact, there was one study that showed that Trump supporters were less authoritarian than Republicans who had supported Trump and Romney. So that was really confusing. Wait, but here, did you say you said Bush Trump supporters Romney. were you mean, yeah, less you mean Bush. authoritarian than than Bush, Bush and Romney. Uh, Romney? Okay, yes. I think initially and you said so, Trump and Romney. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I agree uh, with that. I think okay. Trump draws from two sides. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you were right. Yes, you're right, DM. So this is sense. what this is when they dug into it. This is what they found that the the the, the scale that they were measuring authoritarianism had to do with your attitudes toward parenting. So if you feel like the key to parenting is obedient children, or if you feel like you need to be a friend or you need to uh, you know, ex help kids uh, you know, develop and explore their world and all this other stuff and you know, express themselves, then that's how they measured authoritarianism and that did not capture what was going on with Trump folks. And they found that it was really with Trump folks, there's almost diametrically opposed hmm. uh, populist and non-populist people. So there's, yes. the, there's the traditional folks that that like rich people and favor them and think that uh, you know the, the the United States needs to be belong to the winners in the world and that means rich people, and they want more less taxes for rich people and all that. And then there were actual these populists, these right wing populists, that had a lot of anger, and um, believe that uh, you know that 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 they didn't trust leaders and things like that. But the thing that did unite them was more subtle ideas of authoritarianism and one of them was harsh leader that is willing to do whatever it took to accomplish the goals all right so the to the extent that people believed in that that you know we need we need someone that's going to um uh mean business and uh, uh, uh get rid of the quote bad apples to the extent that that um, what well, i was one of them they believed in that that kind of remove some of the differences because you know studies have shown that white men have had not had any uh there's no decline in the support of trump by white men since the beginning of his presidency for people that voted for um trump mm -hmm. during the 2016 election so but if you include your idea of this idea of strong leader and also just anger about people that have usurped power so this idea that you know these liberal elites have come in they've taken over and they've they've dra they dragged our country to this place that we don't want it and we need a strong leader again a strong leader to come in and do what needs to be done so it's and when you look at it that way then it really makes sense that the worse he does the more extreme things he does it actually just increases his support he says yeah that's what i voted for that's mm -hmm. what i like you mm -hmm. need a leader that does stuff like that does that make sense to you yeah i think this is so important to consider uh, this exact thing because the more that we can look at this population or community uh, with nuance i think the better able we will be able to understand um, voters at large and uh, come together and then from there on actually make some progress uh, i was listening to this sorry go ahead well, I was just going to say one of the biggest uh, questions that divided Trump voters and non-Trump supporters was 
do you think the death penalty is being applied too much or not enough? That was a question that divided them the most. So mm. people that did not support Trump said 20, 29% said not enough, whereas 61% of Trump supporters says it's not being applied enough. We need to apply the death penalty more often. So I, I recently came upon this podcast called Reckonings. Have you guys heard of it? It's no. this podcast where um, individuals are interviewed for the length of the episode, each episode. It's a different person interviewed for each episode. And they pick individuals who have like pretty radically changed their beliefs on something. So they had a stance, maybe political, um, and they changed their beliefs. So one of the episodes back in 2016 was... Um, uh, was featuring someone who was a Trump supporter and then eventually actually became a Hillary supporter in the 2016 election. And the way he moved um, along that trajectory, it wasn't smooth. Um, he had a lot of back and forth, um, but mostly it had to do, he said, with talking to marginalized people, different groups of marginalized people, and coming to understand their trials and tribulations and then looking for you know maybe um these were in his words again that maybe instead of trying to focus on protecting my self-interest um i should look for constituents who are uh trying to represent and serve a, a larger community at whole that's how he came across his own transition um have you guys heard of the lincoln project no, what is yes. that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I actually listen so, to their podcast. Yeah, oh, wow. I like it a I lot. Yeah. Um, it's basically a group of Republicans who have been traditional Republicans for most of their life who are taking like a stand against Trump. And they what they're known for is very targeted ads that like really hit Trump in um it's done through like a view of like standard like Republican morals, like these are what our Republican values are. This is how Trump is not it. Um, and it's done through the lens of a Republican. It doesn't try to be like, it doesn't try to say, like, I feel like most Democrats or most politicians now, they feel very careful about what they say. I don't, the Lincoln Project doesn't hold back. I think what's also worth noting about the Lincoln Project, though, is that they are drawing in huge amounts of money, largely from the left, and a lot of, and they're hiring firms that they themselves have major business interests in, to and paying them exorbitant rates for. I mean, doing they are Republicans. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you here. <laughs> Is this a get rich quick scheme? That sounds like that's. Uh... Do, I do think they're getting rich from it. Um, but what I I want to. But I agree with you, Alan. I'm going to say that, yes, they're, they're really effective ads, though, and, and DM. They're really Yeah, effective. I mean, I, they're interesting to me. I don't quite know what I think of them. But I, I, at first, I really respected them for having, like, kind of backbone and, and wanting a stable leader in a stable country more than a political agenda. But I'm not so sure now. Um, I, what I want to kind of bring into this is I have a patient every week or two that that has a similar kind of set up where they come in they've been brought by the police because they were let's say intoxicated and were had suicidal ideation and they have guns and they come in and it's basically like 
psychology has nothing to teach me that I can't just learn myself. I'm a guy who likes hunting and fishing. Um, I don't do feelings. And I mean, it goes back to the, the toxic masculinity constructs that I, I discussed on the wilderness therapy episode. But when I see that, and especially as you know, we as a field become more and more open to feelings and ideas that are introduced to us from the left, which everyone happens to be you know, in our podcast, and I think it's we, we I think it's unfortunate that we don't have a Trump supporter here with us, or or half of us that be Trump supporters. But you know, when I when I think about that patient, it's like, yeah, I really don't think I'm going to be able to offer you anything, and I I feel like we are not learning how to communicate with that faction of white males, and and we don't. We also, I think, are cordoning off an increasing amount of their communication styles and thoughts as unacceptable. And big surprise, they don't go to therapy. Wait, why don't you think you can offer them anything? Because I guess in clinical terms, they're often pre-contemplative and because they don't, the whole way that we look at things and the whole way we speak about things and the whole way that we solve things by validating feelings and that we try to get and that our way to try to help is to try to get them to open up is counter to is offensive to them really is is you know it's it's not a practical we're 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 taught when you say to them, listen who are you talking about are we are you talking about your individual patient or are you talking about yeah, right although if I can man, go further to have yeah. kind of like I I might embody that the the um, research kind of uh, set that I was talking about earlier uh, or on a former episode of like danger is exciting, women are inferior, emotion is weakness, and violence is manly, and that like, a huge percentage of our country scores high on those four, and when someone has I think um, high scoring factors on all four of those there's a different communication set that's needed with them and i don't think we've figured it out do you think that we need more uh right-wing clinicians to reach that segment do you think that would be enough or do you feel like we need to rethink the entire way to uh, help people psychologically i don't know but i love that question and I certainly wish I knew more right-wing clinicians. I don't know that I know a single one, or may, or I I don't know that I know a single one in California. Did you I, did you have much experience? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dean. How often do you ask? I don't. I think you're making a lot of assumptions about people. I I think for most part, in a clinical settings, we try to stay, or at least most doctors try to stay very neutral. But I think if you look at a lot of doctors, most of them are higher income. They are primarily white. They are like, again, I, I know a lot of doctors who voted for Trump. So I yeah, think you're, you're right, making you're right. a lot I of guess generalizations. When I, said clinicians, I was thinking of, of more MFT, LCSW, like the people that are actually doing the therapy. Touchy-feely um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't thinking as much about our folk um, with that. You're you're right. There's there's a lot. Are, of are psychiatrists less touchy feely than therapists? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't agree with DM. There's and you, you know too, Alan. There's a lot of really conservative uh, psychologists because yeah, because a lot of times they're rich. I mean, psych- psychiatrists because they're rich and they they come from a kind of a privileged background a lot of times, and that can give birth to a lot of republicanism. But, yeah, I've I've worked with big Trump supporters, uh, doctors that are Trump supporters. I, yeah, I, I find myself avoiding it. But now that you think of it, did I feel like they were a better with right wing people? I. I, you know, I don't I feel, feel like, like people need to be right wing. I just think we need to put thought into how to communicate in a, in a less judgmental way with those folks. And, and yeah, maybe it's not. Well, let, we'll just do a quick check. Of the people that you can think of that were Republican or right wing psychiatrists, do you feel like they were more effective with Republican right wing people? I can't say. No. I just think there's a lot to <laughs> I honestly, I feel like it's the same treatment. It's the same approach. It's the same medications. I, I don't, it, this is like generalizing. Do we treat black people differently? Yes, sure. Maybe our like biases are there and we do subconsciously, but I think. Look at from not, a cultural perspective. Do you feel yeah. like someone who's super experienced with the right wing culture and the conservative Republican culture would be better with. I think this is absolutely a cultural psychiatry thing. And I can point to the whole idea of, um, the, the legal battle over whether we're allowed to ask about firearms. I mean, I don't think you can dismiss that that's super politicized and that someone who was right wing and themselves owned firearms would ask that question way differently and that it'd be worth learning from them. And that's the last word. Thank you, Alan. Uh, that's all the time we have on this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today we talked about authoritarianism, a little bit about the Milgram studies. Thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, Drs. DM Wen and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsyched on KUCRGmail.com. That's getpsyched on KUCRGmail.com. You can listen to our past podcasts on your favorite streaming platform. And this episode was recorded in each of our respective homes and then mixed by our producer at KUCR, Elliot Fonk. So special thanks go out to him. I've been your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.